open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Now I know a new year um, makes us, you know, want to reflect on the year and look toward the year ahead. Um, and I know for some people, it's just, this is just another day on your calendar. You've kept your same routine. Everything is just the way it always is every single day. Um, but for a lot of other people, the, the Christmas season and the holidays that happen, it just wrecks all of our schedules. And so we're like, I don't even know what day it is. I don't know where I'm at, what I'm doing, what time is it? And, and um, I, I understand it's, it's, it's different. But here we are. It's a new year, 2023. It seems very futuristic, I guess, because that shows you how old I am. Because I remember looking forward to the year 2000. Like, what's that going to be like? Well, guess what? That was 23 years ago. That's crazy long. Um, But for others too, when they hear that date, 2023, they think, especially for our high schoolers, I know for many of our high schoolers, and we have several that are graduating this year, it's like 2023, I've been looking toward this date for a very long time. Um, There's there's a, 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 a new chapter that's it's gonna happen. One chapter is gonna close and another one's gonna open. Um, and and I know that uh, that's that's how we're that's where our minds are a lot um, at the beginning of a new year. And I do have some thoughts that I'd like to share to the church and uh, for what we have ahead of us in the coming year, but I'm not gonna do that today. <laughs> All right. Um, I I thought about it, but I I realize I want to push that off a little bit. Instead, what I want to do today is I want to look at a section of Scripture as we've been working through Genesis. Um, We've come all the way through 16 chapters. We start chapter 17 here today. And we've been studying recently the life of Abram. And we've been seeing these different phases of Abram's life. And here in chapter 17, it is the close of one chapter... And it's the launch of a whole new thing happening in his life. And it's a a significant change in his life. It's actually the the culmination, the fruition of all these things that God has been promising and God has been talking to him about for all this time. It's all coming together right here in in chapter 17. And so that's what we're going to look at here today. Just to catch you up to speed. Because I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel this way. Even if you've been coming faithfully to church every Sunday... It feels like it's been a while since we were in Genesis with Christmas and everything else going on. So last, the last time we were in Genesis, in chapter 16, we saw Abram and his wife Sarai make some choices that weren't really the best. All right, And, and we talked about how they were trying to short, make a, find a shortcut to God's plan. God had told them, hey, I'm going to do this radical thing in your life. Uh, I'm going to turn you into a, a nation of people, and I'm going to do this in a supernatural way. But Abram and Sarah got a little impatient, and they're like, you know what? Let's just try to help God out, and let's try to speed this ahead. And it included this other woman, Hagar, and uh, it, there, there was a lot to it. You can go back and study that. But ultimately what they did is in, in, in trying to find this shortcut to God's plan, they kind of complicated their own lives with sin. And, and they had this, all this take place and happen. But we have to remember that God was the one who made the covenant with Abram. And God was going to be the one to make it all come to pass. 
And that's where we pick up here in chapter 17. So if you've got your Bibles open, Genesis, Genesis, excuse me, Genesis chapter 17. And we're going to start there in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give, you, give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, and ever, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, as we start here in chapter 17, we have to understand 13 years have gone by since chapter 16. All right? It doesn't seem like it because you go to the last verse of chapter 16 and right into 17, and you don't realize it until you studied it out. 13 years have, ha have happened. And back in chapter 16, Sarai and Abram kind of make a mess of things. And then, as far as we know, at least what the scripture, the scripture's silent on it. Maybe Abraham and God had some conversations in those 13 years. Maybe God appeared to Abram again, and it's not recorded here. But all we see in Scripture is silence for 13 years. So as you can imagine, Abram is probably thinking, what have I done? I had all this interaction with God. I saw these impossible things happen in my life. God had come and he, he did this radical thing and we did this covenant ceremony that was amazing and, and God's been directing me and speaking to me and now all of a sudden I tried to take things into my own hands. I messed some stuff up. Now my family life is a wreck. I've got all these things happening and God vanished. I guess he's forgotten me. I guess he's through with me. I guess he's finished. So much for all those big promises. That could be, and I'm just reading in there, that could be what Abram was thinking. That's what I would have been thinking. 13 years is a long time to wait for something. 13 years has now happened and gone by. But the time for the covenant to be put into effect has arrived. No doubt, Sarai and Abram, as they were thinking through all that had happened, had this, this regret that they were dealing with. But remember, God was the one who covered both sides of the covenant. God was the one that was going to bring it to pass. And when God appears here now, in chapter 17, when he hears the voice of God, what does Abram do? He falls on his face. He's like, whoa, this is amazing and this is happening. He falls on his face. God appears and comes with a renewal of the covenant. He doesn't mention Abram's failures. At least it's not recorded here. He doesn't come and say, well, Abram, I guess it's been long enough. I guess I'll show up again to you. 
You really made a mess of things, you and Sarai, before. I hope you've learned your lessons. Have you wallowed in your regret long enough? Is it time to kind of move on from that? He didn't say any of those things. He doesn't even mention it. He doesn't even talk about it. He just shows up and says, Abram, here I am. Remember this covenant promise that we talked about? It's time. I'm here to do this. I'm here to renew this. And that's like God, isn't it? He's gracious to to us in that way. I, I, I sometimes tell people it's important as a Christian to learn the difference between conviction that comes from God and from the Holy Spirit in your life, conviction, and the difference between conviction and condemnation. All right? Conviction comes from God. Condemnation comes from the enemy. And there's two different things that are happening there. Condemnation leads to death. It's you're a loser. You blew it. You're never going to bounce back out of this. You're just a sinful, no good, rotten, filthy, whatever you use. That's condemnation. Conviction also deals with our sin and points out our sin. But conviction is, hey, let's get up. Let's move on. This isn't you. Leave that behind. You're called to something else. You're someone else. That's the difference. God brings conviction to life. The devil brings condemnation to death. And when God appears here, he's he's reminding Abram of this promise and says, hey, we're moving forward now. Now's the time to go on. And what he does here when he appears is he comes bringing new names. Right? I don't know if you saw that in what we read here, but he came with new names. And that's the, one of the main ideas that I want us to think about here today. Because I also think it's important that we learn what God is up to when he brings a new name. Throughout scripture, you're going to see this happen. There are some really um, important places in scripture where God renames someone or God changes the name that they have. And he does that here with Abram. But that's actually not the first new name that appears in this section in chapter 17. The first new name comes in verse 1 when God himself says, I am God Almighty. The, The Hebrew is El Shaddai. You might have heard that name before. That's what that means, God Almighty. And in Scripture, this is the very first time that phrase, El Shaddai, is ever used. This is the first time that God has revealed himself to humanity in this way. Now, obviously, God has not changed, but what's happening is more of his character is being revealed. I told you when we started this whole study through the book of Genesis that one of the key things that we would learn in Genesis is about the nature and character of God, who God is. That's revealed through Genesis. And right here, we're now confronted with this idea that God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. He is the Almighty One. God Almighty El Shaddai. And what he's telling Abram here, when he comes and says, that's who I am, God Almighty, what he's saying is, there's nothing that I can't do. There's nothing that I can't do. Abram, as we've been going through his life, we've seen that he'd been learning to trust God and his ability to do some impossible things. He's experienced some miraculous events in his life already. But the scale of God's power was still misunderstood by him. He'd seen some amazing things, no doubt, and been delivered from some really 
sketchy situations. Remember when he took 318 men and went and fought an army and won? (laughs) I mean, he's gone through some things, but he still didn't understand God's might and God's power. And before we go any farther, I've got to ask you this question, because as I was studying through this and thinking about this for myself, I had to ask myself this question too. Do I truly believe, do you truly believe that God is almighty? Now, before you answer the question, think a little bit deeper. Because what I realized is, when I'm honest with myself, I have to confess that often I don't. I mean, I think I do in my head, but do I really believe that God is almighty? I should, I should say that I don't always believe that I have access to his almighty power. I do believe without hesitation, God's almighty. But for me to believe that he will extend his power into my life, that's where I sometimes doubt. Anybody else ever prayed the prayer, well, God, I know you can do this, but will you do this? Well, I'm sure that you've got the power to do that. I know you're not preoccupied somewhere else. I know that you have the ability to hear my prayer and to arrange this situation. But will you? That's where I run into some of this. That's where I run into some of the doubt. That's where my prayers get weak and my requests are sometimes shaky. Um, One commentator writing on this passage, Kent Hughes, said this quote. He said, Any thoughts of a God less potent than the God of Abram will shrink your soul and neutralize your faith. Let me read that again. Let that sink in. Any thoughts of a God less potent than the God of Abram, this God Almighty, will shrink your soul and neutralize your faith. Because when we believe that God is smaller than he is, or that he's weaker than he is, our faith gets neutralized. That's what it is. It's a lack of belief that God really is almighty, that he really is powerful, that he really can do it. We want to start giving God excuses. Like, well, we think you're pretty strong. Like, you did make heaven and earth. That's, imp- that's impressive. Um, you know, there's, there's some of these things, and we start thinking about it, but, but if, if we believe that he's smaller or weaker, then our faith gets neutralized. And what happens is we lose the dynamic, life-changing, world-transforming power that he intends for us. This is why when you look at the life of Jesus, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's always saying things and doing things to remind us that his Father in heaven is almighty. And he teaches us to view God in that way. Now, it was pretty incredible if you had been one of the disciples walking with Jesus and living with Jesus because you got to experience a lot of those things firsthand. Do you remember the story in the Gospels where um, the, the disciples are all in a little boat and they're coming across the Sea of Galilee at night? Jesus is super tired and he's asleep in the boat. And as they're getting halfway across the Sea of Galilee, and by the way, the Sea of Galilee is just a big lake. It's not even that wide, but because of the way that the topography is, there's this big cliffs on one side and kind of a, a low plain on the other side and storms will come through and, and they can actually get 10 foot waves on the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake and 10 foot waves, big wave, All right? And so these little fishing boats that they're in don't stand much of a chance with a 10 foot wave. 
in, in this lake. And so they're halfway through the lake. Jesus is asleep. The storm is brewing. Water is gushing over the side of the boat. The boat that they're in is about to sink. And these disciples start freaking out. And so they're like, we got to wake Jesus up. Like, we're all about to die here. And that's exactly what they do. They wake him up. And what does Jesus say? In Matthew 8, 26, it says, He said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then he does something, right? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. What was that an expression of? The almighty power of God. That's how the disciples felt about it. And they're like, okay, who is this guy? (laughs) He has power over even the physical forces of nature. We're in the middle of a storm. We're all going to die. He stands up and says a word, and all of a sudden, nature obeys. This is powerful. Same thing happened when, uh, at another time on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is walking on water. All right? Yes, radical, supernatural miracle. Yes, it's in Scripture. You can look at it. And Peter, in, the, in a boat, sees Jesus. At first, they're freaked out. This is a ghost. Then they realize it's Jesus. And what, is, what does Jesus say to Peter when Peter says, hey, can I come out there? It's like, sure, come on. The power is not just for me. The power is for you. Come on. Peter gets out partway through, and then he's like, wait a minute. This shouldn't be happening. This can't be happening. There's no way God's this strong. I can't walk on water. I'm on water. This is a lake. I should be sinking. This isn't all right. <laughs> That's all going through his head. And then what happens? He's shrunk his view of God. He's, his, and his faith gets neutralized. And all of a sudden, he starts sinking. And what's Jesus say? Grabs him by the hand and says, hey, why'd you doubt? Where's your faith? God is powerful. God is almighty. And I think that that's an important thing for us to recognize and remind ourselves of as we start a new year. If you don't remember anything else because you're too sleepy because you stayed up too late last night, or you've eaten way too much sugar and candy and sweets over the past two weeks, then just hear this. God is almighty. God is almighty. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what he has revealed to us. That's what he speaks to us. God is almighty. No matter the task or the need, no matter your situation, no matter your sin, no matter your weakness, God is almighty. All right, so that's the first name, that God is Almighty. That's the new name. The second new name goes to Abram. And from now on, I won't have to correct myself and forget and call him Abraham when his name's Abram. (laughs) Because from here on out, he's Abraham. All right? At 99 years old, Abram gets a name change. Now, when God, God Almighty, gives someone a name, Or when he changes someone's name, it's a significant thing. Because he's marking a change in someone's life. Now, as human beings, it's hard for us to always keep in our minds that people can change. It really is. Because when we meet someone, we interact with someone, especially someone that we've known for a really long time, And we've seen the way they live life, and we see how they do things, and we see how they respond, and we know their personality types, and then we study personality types, and we're like, oh, that person's locked in. They're never going to change. They've always been this way. They always will be this way. We say those kinds of things too, right? You'll always do this. You'll never do that. And we feel like we've got them, and we know who they are, and that's it, and that's final. 
But what we have to understand, and we see time and time and time again in Scripture, is God changes people. And if you're a Christian, you should be changing in your life. Because what's happening is this process called sanctification, where we're being sanctified, we're being made like God. And the power of God, the Almighty God, is transforming your life. Every one of us should be people that believe in change and believe in growth. And it's hard. And I will admit, there are some people that may not change. But the ability to change and the possibility of change is there with God. We have to know that. We have to believe that. And when God, specifically in Scripture, when he changes someone's name, it's to mark the change that he is doing or is going to do. It's not just a new label for someone. He didn't say to Abram, I'm kind of tired of calling you Abram. I'm going to call you Abraham from here on out. Just sounds better. I like it. That's not what he's doing. It's not just a new label. It reflects a transformation of their essence or defines their purpose. Now, Abram meant, the name Abram meant exalted father. Okay? But Abraham means father of a multitude. And if you remember, that was the promise that God had made from way back when to Abram. And he he renews it again here. He says, I'm going to make you a father of nations. Multitudes of people that are going to be my people are all going to come through you. And so I'm going to name you no longer just exalted father. Yeah, that's nice. No, father of multitudes. Because I want you to know it, that that is what I'm going to bring to reality. But here's the thing. We're talking to a 99-year-old man with an 89-year-old wife. And from a physical standpoint, this is an impossibility. This isn't going to happen. But God's making the change. And no longer would Abram struggle for an heir. He would now, as it says here, become exceedingly fruitful. And before we move on, I also just want you to notice um, there in in verse 8, the very last line there, where he also says, And I will be their God. This is an important piece to recognize because what God is doing through Abram, Abraham now, is God is going to raise up a people for himself. And the reason he's going to do that is not just so that he can say, I like them better than all the rest of you. What he's doing is he says, I want to extend myself to humanity, this flawed humanity, and I'm going to specifically reveal who I am to this people. I'm going to make promises to this people, ultimately, so that it will be a light to the rest of the world. Because I want people to know me, and this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in this way. But before this new chapter completely begins with Abraham's life, he's given a sign of this covenant. All right? So here's a a weird piece of scripture for you. Here we go. Um, Chapter 17, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you... You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, this sign... The sign of circumcision here was a physical, permanent reminder of the covenant between God and his people. All right? I wear a, a wedding band on my left hand here as a reminder of the covenant, the promise that I made to Aaron that I would be her husband for the rest of my life. That's what this is to be. It's, it's a sign. It's a reminder. It's a marker in my life to remind me that this is the covenant that, that I have made. And this sign of circumcision was to be a mark on all of God's people. Well, at least the men of his people. <laughs> but, it, but, but also remember with that, this was a culture of people groups and families. We, in the, the Western world and the Western way of thinking, we're all about the individual. And we just think about ourselves we're very self-centered, all right? In, in these times, in these groups, they were families. The women didn't have a mark in their own flesh, but they did in their husbands and their sons. And they were all to be God's people, and this mark was to signify that. Tangibly, this rite was also a reminder that the covenant came through pain and blood. The new covenant that Jesus would bring, that we're going to celebrate in communion here today as a church, would also come through pain and blood. But I also want you to notice here that, that the, if the people refused this sign, God says, this is, this is between me and my people from here on out, all of you. If you refuse the sign, they were no longer a part of God's people. Now, I bring that up because for a lot of people, especially from the outside looking in, they're like, that's harsh. Why would God be so exclusive? Why would God say there's only one way to do this? And if you don't do this, you're not part of my people. Why would he set this up that way? And I, I know that, that it's, it's difficult. There was only one way. And embracing the sign was embracing the path that God had for them. There's one way to enter into the old covenant. And you know what? There's one way to enter into the new covenant. The Bible also tells us as we jump into the New Testament is the one way to enter into the new covenant with God is through Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way here. And I know that that's hard for us to hear. I want the whole world to be saved. I, I like the idea of you know, you may have seen the, the bumper stickers on the, the back that says coexist, right? And if you, if you look close, it's a little artist rendition. It's a, an Islamic uh, crescent moon for the sea, for the coexist. And then there's a star of David in there. And there's a, a cross at the end for the, the exist. And there's a little yin-yang for, for Buddhism and all these things, right? And the, the thought of that whole thing is, well, why can't we just all get along? Let's just all tolerate each other. Let's just all live on this earth and let people do what they're going to do. I, I want people to live in harmony and in peace. But tolerance is different than unity. 
Just because you tolerate something that's happening doesn't mean that you're, you're one and you're, you're in a, a unified place. And what God is in the process of doing is God is uniting his people for eternity. And he says that there's, there's one way. The Christian faith is exclusive because there's one God and one way to that God. Yet, the Christian faith is also very inclusive because God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. It's wide open, but it's wide open to come through one way. I know that it's, it's difficult for us to get our brains around that and to receive that, but that is what we see as we go through the scripture. And God here is committed to a relationship with Abraham and his offspring, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. And when you really think about it, relationships need boundaries. That's the way it is. You really want true relationship with people, there has to be boundaries put in place. Well, there's one more name that we're going to see here that's going to change, and we're going to see it here in this next section. Look at at verse 15 with me. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram, Abraham now fell on his face. He falls again, but this one's a little different. He fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Remember, that's the son from Hagar that he had. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for, as for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, Sarai meant princess. All right, princess. But interestingly, Sarah also means princess. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what kind of name change is that? <laughs> princess to princess, right? It seems like he's, he's just saying the same thing. But the name change was still significant because this regal title that Sarai had had her entire life was actually right all along. For Sarai, one of the, the, probably the heaviest thing that she had burdened, she had carried in her life was that she couldn't have kids. And especially in this culture, your value was tied to the number of kids you could produce. And so for her, she was like, man, I got this name princess, but I'm not going to ever be able to, you know, have offspring. But actually it was right all along. He says here specifically, she will become the mother of kings and nations. But again, here we are at a place where it's impossible. And first, Abraham falls on his face in reverence to God. But now he's falling on his face laughing. He's like, this is ridiculous. 
This can't happen. There's no way. But it's God Almighty that we're talking about here. And all things are possible. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a little ironic um, that, that God, as he's kind of chuckling along with Abraham, he's like, yeah, it's pretty funny, pretty funny joke. In fact, that, that, uh, let's name him Laughter. We'll, we'll call him Isaac, just because I want you to remember this moment right here. When you're thinking about, wow, this is ridiculous. How on earth is this going to happen? How is this going to take place? I want you to remember it. We're going to call him Isaac. And every time you look at this guy, you're going to say, laughter. Oh my gosh, I was laughing. I can't believe it, it, could, it could be. His name would be a reminder of the extraordinary power and the joy of God. And then we see here in the last section as we finish, verse 22, and it says, And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, who's now 13 years old, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Here's what I want you to see here in this section. Abraham obeyed God. That's it. He obeyed. Sometimes obedience to God hurts. This is one of those times. (laughs) It's here that we see great faith in Abraham. We've seen little glimpses of Abraham's faith, his attempt to follow God in certain ways, but here we see great faith. He believed what God said he would do. And as we saw in chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But in righteousness, he obeyed. You know, all of the men of his household really had to have assumed, all right, the old man has really lost it now. (laughs) The the guy's gone crazy. (laughs) Um, What is he making us do? But Abraham didn't back down. He followed through with God's command, and he did it immediately. Now, a couple thoughts as we finish. If you're a Christian here today, you also have been given a new name. Now, I'm not saying that you've all experienced this uh, incredible vision where God appears and says, I now name you, whatever it is. Um, I, I don't know that any of you have experienced that. I haven't. But all of us are given a new self, a new being. We're changed, we're transformed when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We're given a new name. God no longer sees you as the person that you once were. Your nature has been changed. And God has begun a deep work in you. And as we cooperate with God uh, in his work in our lives, a radical transformation takes place. For many of you, when you look back on your life before Christ and then after Christ, it's very obvious to you and even people around you. You're like, yes, I was a very different person before I came to the Lord. For others of you, you may have given your life to the Lord when you're very young and you're like, well, I've kind of always been this way. Well, trust me, God has been at work in your life too. And he's been changing you and guiding you in a different path. Thankfully for you, you haven't had to go through some of the rough places and rough patches that others have. All right, that's just, that's the way God did it for you. 
But no matter who you are and what your background is, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. You've been transformed. That's why we do things like baptism as Christians. It's a reminder of what's taking place. It's the symbol of a person who is alive, that is then dead in the, the waters of baptism and is brought up to new life, to become a new person. And when they come out of those waters of baptism, it's representing this new life that has begun in them. We're new people when we come to Christ. And my question for you, especially as you're, you know, putting together your New Year's resolutions and your new plans of, of what's coming up in the new year, I just want to ask you, are you living up to that name? Are you actually living like a new creation? Is your life being transformed in a way that other people can even see that you're different? Are you living for yourself or are you living for God? And I'm not asking you that to make you feel guilty. I'm not, I'm not trying to point fingers. Yeah, I've seen some of you Christians. I know what you're doing. You know, that's not what's going on. That's, that's not it at all. What I'm doing is I'm trying to encourage you to step into all that God has for you in this life. Because I believe, and I think that this is a whole different conversation we won't have right now. I, I believe that, that we as Christians, especially in the affluent world that we live in, I think we settle for way too little with God. Because we've got a lot of things taken care of on our own already. And in many cases, we feel like we don't really need God. We got some money in the bank, we've got food in the fridge, pretty healthy, somewhat safe, got a car that can get us where we need to go. We don't need much of the Almighty's power, but we know we do. We really do. Because none of that stuff is going to make your soul right. None of that stuff is going to sort out the, the struggle and the pain that's in your heart and in your life. Only God can do those things. We are children of God Almighty who have been invited into a dynamic relationship with Him. But unfortunately, a lot of times we just settle for basic survival and sin management rather than stepping into the powerful, abundant life that Jesus wants to give us. And, and so just ask yourself, am I living into what God is calling me to? One more thought, and then I really will finish. What would happen if we would all commit to believe God and do like Abraham did and just obey? What, what would happen in the year ahead. And I'm not expecting all of us to make some enormous New Year's resolution, but what if we just took the next step that God has for us today and then do it again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that? What would happen among us? And if you don't know what that next, <clears throat> excuse me, that next step is, ask God this week. Spend some time with just you and God and say, Lord, what do you, what does obedience look like in my life? What do you have for me? What do you want me to do next? And let's, let's do what we can to obey him and move in that direction. Amen. Pray with me. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us the grace that we need to follow you. And God, I pray that you would transform every person that's in this room here today. 
We want to be people that are truly walking in abundant life. And that is outside of our ability, Lord. But you are God Almighty. So it is, it is completely within your strength. It's within your power to do radical things in our lives. And so, Lord, today I pray that we would be people that are living with our new names, that we're living into it, whatever it is that you're speaking into our lives. I pray that we would experience that full potential, not because we've worked really hard and earned our salvation. No, because of the goodness of who you are and the grace that you have in our lives. And so, Lord, as we go through this week ahead, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you'd convict us. If there's places that we need to lay down before you, that we're at the start of a year, what a great time to make a change. And I just pray, Lord, that you would lead your people, that you'd strengthen your people, and that you would guide your people, that we'd become all that you want us to be. And through it, Lord, through it, that you would work among us, you'd work through us, you'd work around us. And that the good news of Jesus Christ and the transformation of life would happen in our community. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.